Hello, this is Mariah C. Kaminsky, the Artistic Director of Pittsburgh Public Theater, and I'm here with Shonda McDill, the Managing Director of The Public, and this is Participate, a true public podcast. This podcast was all your idea, Shonda. And also, it was on your 90-day list, and in three days, you mark 90 days as Managing Director of the Pittsburgh Public Theater, and it has been a hell of a three months. It has been. So what was your initial impulse about this podcast? How, how, yeah, why? Um, There was always this desire to do one um, and kind of speak about the pressing topics and give people like a little like insight into like behind the doors of places that they don't get to see, right? And the decision-making process and the passion and all of the things. I want to hear kind of how things at the public came to be. And I, and if we're going to talk about being a true public theater, how do we not just um, make it a transactional thing where we're asking of other people, but where we're coming to a space to be vulnerable also and to give to people. I also think it's going to be a time capsule because mm-hmm. time is already moving really quickly. Things are progressing really fast. The field is changing really fast. And to be able to capture this moment um, and what we can see from here. During this dynamic time of unprecedented challenge and great opportunity in the American theater, we are building the future of Pittsburgh Public Theater on the pillars and values our founders set in place when they posited that Pittsburgh could not only produce steel and football, exorbitant wealth and a labor movement that would change the nation, Pittsburgh produces world-class arts and culture, and we have for generations. Our values are founded in the gritty hard work of the families who built and defined this region, and we are inspired by the titans of industry and visionary artists who have innovated and articulated our many chapters of growth, hardship, and hope. This is Pittsburgh Public Theater's past, and it is our future. Our pillar values, our artistic excellence, fiscal responsibility, community relevance, and attracting and retaining talent. Um, You asked a question about how those core values, those pillar values came to be. Um, And uh, coming out of the pandemic, we were facing crisis here at the Pittsburgh Public Theater before about a year and a half before you got here. Um, but who you knew well about the situation we were in. Um, and we assembled uh, around the table staff, members of staff, members of board and community members, some artists who had worked with us um, and took a really hard look at what our financial model was, what our programming model was, what our capacity was coming out of the pandemic, where everybody around that table wrote down what they thought was important about the public. Mm-hmm. I think it was like the five things that you think were are the most important parts of the public, the education programs or the work on stage, and then cross out three of them. It kind of emanated from this curiosity of like, is that because we're all like group thinking, you know, or is it because those truly are the core things that are important in the arts? Or is that because we're scared to think that something else would maybe it would be too much of an outlier in the arts. You know, sometimes I feel like we've been talking about the same thing so much that it's embedded in us deeply. Yeah. But like, should we just always throw something in the mix? That's just so different. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for that. I would love that. I mean, you're making me, th- you know, when I first, we talked a little bit earlier today, you know, my first year, a couple of years here were really challenging and, um, 
loved my first season, but not everybody did, (laughs) you know, and, um, and I, I was struggling for about like, who are we here for? Are we here for the artists or are we here for the audience? And I actually, I was, you know, in some amazing zoom meeting at some point and Ben Cameron was there. Who's like one of my arts heroes. And I asked him, I had a chance to ask him, you know, what, what were the regional theaters really founded? Who were they founded to serve? Because they often feel conflicting. And he was like, that is such an interesting question. Cause McNeil Lowry, who was heading the Ford foundation when who, that seeded all these regional theaters, apparently he articulated that these regional theaters, like the public are here to serve three purposes or three mm, audiences, you know, artists, audiences, and the form. Mm. that we are supposed to be contributing, participating um, in the form, in the canon of the American theater. And, you know, what Mr. Cameron said, and, you know, he's he's got some pretty infinite wisdom about this stuff, I think, mm-hmm. um, is that it vacillates. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the audience, sometimes it's the artist. It's a constant balance. But I wonder about that when you say, is there anything missing? Yeah. What would you throw in there? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I love your Ben Cameron story because I remember being a student at Yale School of Drama and he came to speak to a management class. And one of the things he was sure to tell me when I was struggling as a student was like, well, of course you're struggling because you weren't a part of who was thought of when the American theater was created, when regional theater was seated, right? So the part two of that question, and and it wasn't exact, he didn't exactly say it like that, but one, I valued his honesty. Right. As a student, you just want somebody to tell you the truth. Like the reason why this is happening is because you were not prioritized. It wasn't for you. (laughs) It wasn't for you. Mm -hmm. And you may have been doing it in your own way. And and you may have already. Right. Because we know that this art form pre-exists and predates. Right. The American theater. But at the end of the, the day, when he was speaking specifically about the regional theater, and some of the consternation that I was going through, it was like, of course these things are struggles for you because you were not prioritized when it was created. Um, I just remember that moment, so I'm glad you invoked his name. Um, and I'm also glad to have met people since then who have prioritized uh, different audiences and different people and and thought to be more um of a place where there should be belonging from for people who haven't been thought of from the beginning. Not to put you on the spot. We have plenty of podcasts to right. come to put you on the spot. But I'm curious if you think it has at all. Do you feel more of a sense of belonging or more space or no? I mean, I feel a sense of, I think for sure, I feel a sense of belonging here at the public. I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have taken the position, but I think the reason why I didn't automatically jump into the regional theater was because I went to my first Lord conference and I looked around and I was like, oh, this is not for me. (laughs) This, I don't, this, I am for sure in the minority in this room. Right. Um, And, um, and there's so much, there's so much, and we do have an entire podcast to go but I do think that um, what I will share is do I believe that uh, the American theater can transform into those places I absolutely do but I also kind of separate 
it's kind of how you mentioned the form and the contribution we're to make to the form. I kind of separate the American theater as a thing from the people who have governed it and financed it and kind of rule and have the power in it, right? And so if you separate those things, like can the American theater become this fertile ground where we're able to kind of like all till the soil and make sure something new grows? Absolutely it can. And I believe that. I mean, I think people should care because I think that the theater, and we've talked about this a little bit, Mariah, like I think it represents that which is at the core of our humanity. It give, It is a platform to reflect our lives, which is why it's such an atrocity if it is not vast and inclusive, right? Because then you're living a singular life. You're living a life that does not actually... Um, open itself to the possibility of exploration, right? It's why, why people have gap years. It's why we um, eat various types of foods so that our palate can be expanded. Like to me, the American theater is that place where we should be able to come together. I love that. Those pillar values harkens me back that just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not excellent. Right. <laughs> you know, um, right. and so it, grappling to define it, especially across cultures, across backgrounds, across artist to artist, what is excellence? And I do think, um, one of the ways that I feel like I know it when I see it is if it's fully wrought, mm-hmm. if it's fully realized, even if it's not something that I understand mm-hmm. or is a creative impulse that I align with, if it feels like it's been fully realized by the artist or the producing entity, that feels excellent to mm-hmm. me. And it's not a matter of it being clean or messy or, um, even finished. Is that did they accomplish what they set out to do? Mm. So I'm curious, what are some of the things, though, that you look for that signal? Mm. Like, oh, this may not be what I thought it was going to be. It's going to end up, we'll get to the end, but it won't be maybe what I thought. I think about rigor with excellence as well. And I I, I don't, you know, I I also think about rigor versus rest. Mm -hmm. We're in a culture Mm -hmm, now, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. that is exploring the value of rest. But I actually think in the context of what we're talking about, we're talking about rigor. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the flags? Um, it's a great question. We should all know this. Um, it's it's taken me a while to learn them here, actually, mm-hmm. because I think that it's one thing to be um, a generative artist or a collaborative artist and be supporting the people around you and making space for their ideas and their journey. And it's such a different thing to be a producer and say, we've got finite resources, we have a timeline, and we have uh, something we really need to deliver that we we have nearly agreed on, you know? Um, so early on, I try to understand what the playwright and or director and or key artists are trying to get out of, what they're trying to deliver on the play. And I try to hold on to just how we're talking about core values now. What are the core values of what we're after? Because um, it's so easy to get distracted. And sometimes they will shift. One of my favorite things to think about is fiscal responsibility or sometimes how we describe sustainability for an organization like ours. Um, and uh, the when I think about it, I think about my interview for this job where I met one of the founders, Joan Apt, and it's all she wanted to talk about. And I will say, while most organizations have a, have a value around fiscal responsibility, very few actually have it in their mission statement, which we do. 
Um, it has meant many different things to me, but, uh, preparation is what it means to me now. Know what, know what you're trying to do, know what it's going to cost and then, uh, be able to respond. Um, but I will, I would love to toss this question to you. Um, managing director miles. Um, I'm curious how you define fiscal responsibility without going too broad. I think it's, um, something that's difficult to achieve in a system that's already set up in a certain way that makes it a little bit impossible for regional theaters to be fiscally responsible. Um, because in general, the way that the system is set up, you're, it's all about the money you hope to bring in. The <laughs> All speculation. So how responsible <laughs> is a whole thing that's speculating, you know, people's response. I don't know. I mean, and I know there's measurements inside of that and we do it all the time, right? We have these ticket trackers and all of these things that we use to try to predict, you know, what it's going to be. But I just want to acknowledge that there's a bit of a farce in it all. And I think that's the reason why the public's first season was fully funded when they started, right? Fiscally responsible work would be to make sure something is fully capitalized before you do anything. Mm. I remember a point in my life when my husband was like, you will not do another show until you have half the money. <laughs> and yeah. I was just like, yeah. what? You never make art like that, right? Artists are just like, we don't go out here and make this thing and hope somebody agrees to pay for it. Right? That's right. That's <laughs> because right. this is what happens. And so I think that, yes, there's a more sophistication in terms of the regional theater. But I mean, how how much? Right. Because we, we find ourselves where we are. Um, so so that in and of itself. But I love the, the what I do love about the term managing director and where I do feel like my gift is, is in managing what is in my hand. And I feel like that's something that my grand, my great grandmother taught me. My grandmother taught me. My, so I, I love managing. But that's not necessarily the same thing as what I think people think about when they think about fiscal responsibility, right? It is um, though, fiscal management, isn't it? It is, it is fiscal management. But sometimes the decisions you have to make when you're managing priorities may not be decisions that people think are responsible ones, right? Because this is this is where the question about risk comes in. Mm-hmm. Because I'm gonna make this decision, I'm managing. We're gonna, we're gonna manage this dollar. Yeah. But if I choose to do this with it, and you think the most responsible thing would be to invest it and save it, then now we're at odds. What are the priorities people say versus the reality of what we have? And then what is that distance in between? And then how do you manage that? Um, and whether that's money, information, whatever resource it is, I think that's the work. Mm. And I love that space. I love that space. Thank God. I love <laughs> that you love that space. <laughs> Let's talk about community relevance. Yeah. Um, oh, goodness. I feel like I've, I've launched on the last one. I'm happy to launch on this one. But do oh, you want to go first? I, I can yeah. launch on it. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like I'm, I am I feel like everyone needs to get their definition together about community. Like, who are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Let's be real. Who's like, we? Who as Brian Pope says. We? Who's we? Yeah. And I think if we could just start with some definitions, which I appreciate this space again. Because I think, like, sometimes people say community and they mean black people. Mm. Right. Sometimes they say community and they mean, you know, women. 
Um, and so I think that like there is um, all of these kind of codes that we live with that we, uh, you know, think. And I think this is why I love the public. I actually prefer public to community mm -hmm. um, these days. And I love being in community with people. But I think when I when we talk about community as an objectified group of people, I think that is the danger. I so appreciate that. Um, I love the word public, too. Public relevance. Maybe mm -hmm. we should consider changing it. It was not voted on. No, it was not. It's community <laughs> relevance from here on out. Um, when I think about community relevance, um, I, I will say I think it's a, a difficult thing for me to define maybe for exactly what you just described. Who are we talking about? Mm -hmm. The first thing that comes to mind is listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's actually where community relevance starts is who, who are you, who are you talking about? Right. And then be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I think, and I think, you know, we're talking in a really broad way, but I also think the community for us, when we say community relevance at the public, I think it becomes anyone who's willing to be in community with us. I think you're right. I don't think it's like our community is, I don't even think our community can just be defined as the community that the most ticket sales come from or the this or the that, because there's so many ways in which people access the public, right? There's different ways in which people find entry points here, right? And so if that's the case, then... I think there has to be some other definitions we come up with, but I think the one that works for me, which is in line with like, find your community and then be quiet is like, who wants to come to the table and talk? Yeah. And yes. if you want to come to the table be and be here and you want to talk and, it, and we're going to listen, then to me, you're our, we're in community together. Mm. That's provocative. Because some folks don't want to come to the table and talk because there have been barriers here for ages. Um, Some people want to come and they talk nonsense. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. That's true. That's true too. Um, that's so funny. Um, but I really appreciate that. And when I think about the community of the public, that is who I think about. Who's here? Attracting and retaining talent. So when I think about this, of course, immediately I think about our staff. I think we have an inc incredible staff, many of whom are homegrown from Pittsburgh um, and just bring, I think, national level talents to uh, the work that we do every day in vision and enthusiasm. I also, I think about attracting and retaining talent when it comes to our artists. Uh, it is, uh, for anybody who listening out there who doesn't know, being an artist is an incredibly challenging profession. Um, especially ones, one artists who come and work at places like the public, if they're from out of town, usually there are people who travel all the time. If they're lucky, they get to bring their pets and their loved ones visit them, but they are on the road and dedicated to these stories and this work. Um, and if you are one of the extraordinary artists working in Pittsburgh who come and work at our theater, often you are working several jobs, um, balancing a lot and compromising and sacrificing a lot to be on our stage. And I really, really appreciate that. Um, and in order to attract and retain those folks, um, I just want to make sure that when they come here, they do have a sense of belonging that they're cared for. Um, you know, we talk about VIP experiences for audience, but, um, you know, one of uh, my art heroes, Lear de Besnay, said, you know, everyone's a VIP. Mm -hmm. Everyone's a VIP. So how, how can we have that experience for our artists? 
It's a tall order. It is. It is. Um, but I love everything you said. I feel very inspired and I appreciate that you see the talent because that was the first question. It's like, who's the talent? Mm. Oftentimes we only see the talent as the artist, not the staff, not the, you know, um, carpenters, not the, it's so everyone is a part of that talent pool. Um, and the entire industry needs to be, you know, treated as VIPs and attracted and retained. And I think, um, it goes kind of back, it, it is a community. It kind of goes back to this community relevance piece, right? So it's like, uh, we still have to listen to them as well. And I think so much of, even in my first 90 days, and I know when you first began also, it was about just like meeting with everyone to just listen. Like I'm here and now I just need to listen because you all have been here, you've been doing the work and we can't attract new people or retain the people if I don't understand why you're still here doing the work and why you keep coming back to do the work. And so I think it's, it's so important and it's something that Pittsburgh writ large struggles with, right? I was um, just thinking about that, yeah. So it makes it difficult to kind of try to crack the code as an organization or even downtown in this moment when we're struggling with that. But I, I don't think that it's insurmountable, but I do think this piece around, um, not just using people for their talent, mm -hmm. right? But actually building community with them, actually allowing them and their cultures and their ways of being to inform what you're doing is a part of that. And I think it's it, uh, people feel that that happens on the stage or in rehearsal all the time. An actor makes a choice, you're talking to them, but there's this exchange. Maybe they don't feel that so much in the office. It's the kind of environment I'm trying to build where it's like, well, what do you think? I know what I think, but what, how do you think this should work? So I think in every instance, what's required is that kind of, that workspace, that place to, to, re, to create together in the room to, to explore and figure out what is the outcome from that exploration, which everyone should be participating in. There's that word again. Um, to get to the ultimate goals that have been set in collaboration with one another. Participation. The essential fact about the live theater is that it demands participation. Not just our physical presence in combination with the physical presence of the actors and production elements, but theater also demands participation from the secrets of our bodies, minds, and emotions that identify us with the form itself. The reality of your presence here tonight is evidence of another kind of participation. Thousands of Pittsburghers whose lives are as separate as can be imagined participated in making the Pittsburgh Public Theater possible. Corporations, city and state governments, foundations, individuals, donors, subscribers, lenders, volunteers, all participating to make professional resident theater live again in Pittsburgh. A common need silently communicated, hard work by super salespersons with a product they believe in, timing. A lot of each of these elements combined to create this theater and this production of The Glass Menagerie. Let's call it participation. And let's hope that the participants, including you, the audience, become gratified by what you've helped to create. For the Pittsburgh Public Theater, I thank you for being in the theater. The rest, well, the rest becomes that secret between you and the performance. 
When the lights dim, you become part of the exclamation that is theater. Ben Schachtman, General Director, first page of the first program of the first production at Pittsburgh Public Theater. Thank you so much for participating. This was a true public podcast. Brought to you by the Pittsburgh Public Theater, produced by TJ Young and Christy Snyder. You can join us Wednesdays at 8 a.m. for new releases of new episodes. You don't want to miss it. We'll be there. Me and Mariah.